It's the Chronicles of Aguna, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90min.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest. He's one of my podcasting heroes all the way from across the pond. Elliot, the Yankee gunner, the head honcho at the Arsenal Vision podcast. Welcome back to the show. How are you? It's been a while. Look, I think if we're going to do this, we should be honest with one another. And you've gotten off on the wrong foot by saying at least five dishonest and inaccurate things in your intro. But I appreciate them nonetheless. Flattery will get you everywhere. So thanks. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's always awesome to talk to you. I'm sorry that it's been so long since we have. No, no, don't worry. I know what it's like. It's been it's been a really weird time the last 18 months, hasn't it? And, you know, yeah. we're just trying to ca- uh, crack on with stuff, trying to get on with things and keep going through a really, really difficult period. But things are hopefully, slowly at least, returning back to normal. And of course, you know things are getting back to normal when there is meltdown on social media. And we're going to come on to talk about the Granite Shaka stuff in a little bit, because I know that we respectfully disagree with each other on the subject. So it should make for a really, really good conversation. But let's start off with the news that broke earlier today, which was reported uh, by Chris Wheatley of Football.London about Arsenal and their approach for James Madison. Now, it said that Arsenal have proposed a player plus cash uh, deal to try and entice Leicester City into parting ways with the attacking midfielder. First of all, Elliot, what are your thoughts on James Madison? Is he somebody that you would welcome to the club? So I think the problem, and I've said this in other places, so apologies if if people have heard me say this before, is that we tend to, Harry, create these binaries of he's amazing or he's crap. And obviously players land on a spectrum and deals land on a spectrum based on the cost for that player. I think James Madison is a very, very good Premier League player. He is in the middle of his prime, playing for a good team. So I think it is fair to say that what he's doing at Leicester, if he were to come to Arsenal, is roughly what we could expect him to do at Arsenal, which would be some very good things, some good ball progression, some quickening of the pace of play. I do think if the prices quoted are accurate and you look at a guy whose underlying metrics say he's roughly a four or five goal a season, six or seven assist a season guy, that at 70 million or whatever it might be, I'm not sure he's that. And and again, mid-prime coming from Leicester, I don't think we should expect improvement. I think we should say that if we're going to buy him, that's what we should be expecting to get. So very good player. If we get him, there are certain deals that I don't love, but it doesn't mean I'm sad if we do them, right? So for example, I don't know that I love the idea of buying Madison for that price right now with this project, but I'd be very happy to watch Madison play for Arsenal. So, you know, if I were director of football, I mean, obviously worst case scenario, um, I wouldn't do this deal, but as a fan, I would certainly have a lot of fun rooting for him. Do you think as fans, we we get into this place where we we care too much almost about the finances of the football club and maybe 
you know, it's not our, it is our football club in the sense that we are the fans and the supporters, but it's the Cronkies' football club. Yeah. So if they go um, and spend money and they spend a little bit too much money and they dig too deep into their pockets, it's not really our problem, is it? Do you think that as fans, we, we put too much weight on value when actually for us, it doesn't really make a difference, does it? Well, sadly, I mean, you know, the fact is, Harry, like everyone can fan the way they want, right? You can fan like Tim Stillman on our podcast and go to every single game home and away. You can be someone who only watches the big games. You can be someone who watches every game but doesn't do social media. You can be someone who soaks it all up. I mean, every way of being a fan is totally your choice. My way, I like to really get in the weeds on the squad building stuff. I think it's interesting. I think the the p- puzzle pieces of how do we get Arsenal with our budget and our fiscal realities back to being a title contender is a really fun and interesting conversation. I also realize I have no influence over it. So it's just me talking, right? Um, I think some people get really upset about that. It's not your money. Why do you care? Well, I care because that's a fun way for me to think about Arsenal because what I realize is we've been eighth the last two seasons. We're now five seasons outside of the Champions League and over 20 seasons, you know, coming up, uh, I guess, 17 seasons without a title. So for me, the question becomes, how did we get here? And I think a big way we got here, Harry, is by not making sound, sensible choices in the way we buy and especially the way we sell. So I like to look at that piece because I think that piece is absolutely inextricably tied to whether we'll get back to where we want to go. But to any fan who says, I just want to see fun players pull on the shirt and root for them, I would never say that's the wrong way to do it. I just hope people would also allow that if I like to get in the weeds on that stuff, and I think it's important, that you know I'm given the space to to enjoy the, the club the way I like to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm certainly guilty of that. I look at deals and I go... I don't think that really represents good value for the football club. And I get told that a lot in the comments, you know, what are you, an accountant or it's a football fan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and But I do, unlike <laughs> you, I do get bogged down in that. I do find that side of the game fascinating. And I look at some of the kind of clubs around Europe and how they operate. And that's a model of a club that I really admire is Brentford, for example, who have just come into the Premier League. And you're going to see that up close now, you know, in the top flight with the way they've gone about their recruitment, the way they identify players. The, it's a bit of like a kind of money ball sort of uh, philosophy. And I find all that stuff really, really interesting. And I think when you don't have a sugar daddy, a Roman Abramovich or a Sheikh Mansour, then to a degree, you kind of have to well said. Yep. apply yourself, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in a smart way and an efficient way. We've talked about James Madison and the idea of him potentially coming to Arsenal. Right at the top, I said that Arsenal had proposed a player plus cash deal. Now, in my mind, I don't know this for sure, but one of the players that seems to be in the mix is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. First of all, would you agree that he's probably one of the players that Arsenal are trying to move on? And Would you be happy to see, not happy to see him go, but would you be sad to see him go, I guess? You're never happy to see academy kids leave because you have a kinship with them and an affection for them that's different from other players. But I think if we want to be this club that improves, we have to be a lot more decisive. Rumors were that we had a 15 million bid for Maitland-Niles last summer. We kept him. A lot of people celebrated that choice. And ultimately, he didn't play a lot. He wound up on loan. And now we'd probably bite your hand off for that 15 million. We can't even get that for Shaka. Um, So uh, while I'd be sad to see him go in the sense that I have an affection for him, I think it's time for his career, for this club. And if it helps us land a very, very good player... I certainly think that that is him creating value. You know, Harry, I think what people think of when you say a success from the academy is they think of <clears throat> what Saka is or what Smith Rowe is. 
But you know what? A success from the academy is any player that goes on to have a top flight Premier League caliber career, right? Uh, selling a Wobi for the amount we did, that's a success from the academy. If Ainsley Maitland-Niles goes on to play for someone like Leicester, that's a success for the academy. Success isn't just playing for Arsenal. Sometimes it's creating value that helps the club build a better team. And, and you said something really important I just want to roll back to for a second. If you don't want to care about values and, and fees and sell-on capabilities and age curves, that's fine. But if that's the case, why don't we just buy Holland, right? Why don't we just buy Van Dyke? Why don't we just buy Camavinga? Why don't we just buy Jaden Sancho? It's because we can't, partly because of prestige and partly because of money. So at some level, the way you spend money matters because if you spend 50 million here, you can't spend it there. And if nobody cares which way we do it, well, then you wind up with a squad like the one we have now where you have a 32-year-old striker on 300,000 a week and a 32-year-old winger on 100,000 a week from Chelsea and his dotage. You know, and you you look at it and you say, why, why are we finishing eighth? It's the culmination of a lot of bad decisions. So I think you almost have to care unless you are a Manchester City and the money is silly and it's fake and it doesn't matter. You know? Yeah, exactly. In terms of the transfer window overall so far, Elliot, so I'm not going to bore the listeners with my opinions again uh, because we've been through it 101 times. But where are you on this transfer window so far? Because there is a lot of panic. Arsenal, really, when you think about it, have only added one player who is going to probably walk straight into the first team. The other two have come in as prospects and, and you know, perhaps back up. That's not to say that if they don't perform, they won't get a chance, but it does feel like the, the first 11 is not that much stronger than the one we ended the season with. Are you at the point now where you are a little bit concerned or not yet? Well, I'm a worrier. That's why my friends call me whiskers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's an inside joke from our podcast. But yeah, I mean, look, the the reality is that there's a lot to do. And the one thing that we should have gone into this window appreciating is the rebuild of Arsenal to a dominant top-tier team was never a one-window rebuild. But I think we had to sort of nail the first steps in the process. I like the Lakanga move. He looks really talented, really smooth, great technique. Um, a guy who was captain of Anderlecht, so a young man with a lot of uh, character, right, coming in. Tavares, a cheap punt on talent, on size and physicality and pace, fine. Ben White, some people love it, some people less enthusiastic. I think he's a very, very good player. I think it's a big amount of money for a player who I think we should reset expectations that there's going to be a learning curve for this guy. Still young by center back uh, uh, ages. He has one Premier League season under his belt where he didn't really play in a back four and was allowed to go hunt and tackle and, and intercept. Now he's going to have to readjust his thinking a little bit, but still a good player to add. And it's clear that we're looking to go more homegrown. I think the issue is that a lot of us felt that where this rebuild really had to start was in midfield that we had Thomas party and then, you know, a, a lot of mix and match pieces that, that didn't really add up to, to the right caliber midfield. And I think we felt we were going to get to freshen it by moving on from Shaka Lakanga one for the future, maybe even a party replacement down the line. I still think we're in a situation, especially with party's injury now where for us to take a step forward, a significant step forward. I look at that midfield and I just, I I'm just not convinced it's good enough. I, I think based on the way we finished last season, we can still finish top six with what we have. I don't think we were ever an eighth place team last season if you ignore that horrific start to the season. But I think yeah. if we want to genuinely try to displace four very elite teams in the top four, any one of them, then I, I, I think it starts by strengthening the midfield. And I don't think we've done enough of that yet. That's the perfect segue onto the big talking point. Uh, because 
this episode basically came about from us debating something on Twitter with regards to Granit Xhaka. And it was when we first kind of got an indication that Arsenal were looking to extend his contract. Now, reports have come out at the time of recording, maybe an hour or so ago, uh, kind of confirming that. Chris Wheatley, uh, again, saying that Granit Xhaka has signed that deal and it's a new four-year deal that will see him uh, get a pay rise. But also, it's basically an extension onto the two years that he already had left. So I guess I want to get your feelings on it. I want to get why you are against it, because I know you are against it. Um, and then I guess I want to have a little bit of a discussion about it because I don't think it's the worst move in the world. And I don't think it can be compared necessarily to some of the other big mistakes we've made in the past. And there are reasons that I think that, but uh, get your take on it first and, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Sure. And, and I just want to be clear, right? None of the mistakes in isolation kill you. But when you aggregate them and you look at the squad and you say, why is this squad so difficult to reshape? Why are we struggling? It's an aggregate of all the mistakes, right? I was against the Aubameyang re-signing. I was against the Willian signing, the Cedric signing. I'm against the Shaka signing. And by the way, I've gotten a lot wrong, okay? I'm not just trying to list things I think I got right, even if you disagree with them. I'm saying when you aggregate those, then you look at the squad and it feels unwieldy and hard to shape into the right place. I do want to just speak for all the people who maybe just feel a little frustrated out of boredom. Harry, there is a part of me that will admit if I set the intellectual side aside, I was just really excited to refresh. You know, Granit Xhaka has been better than people give him credit for. I don't think he's great. I think some people go too far with how good they say he is, but there's certainly people that go the other direction. I was just ready for something new. I was ready for Thomas Party and, uh, you know, Bruno Guimaraes or, you know, Thomas Party and I guess maybe Neves or, you know, whatever it was going to be. I, I was excited for something new. And I think there's just a, a frustration that we're going to, we're going to see the same thing again, which a lot of people are just, they feel it's stale. There's some stasis. They're ready to refresh. But this is the critical point for me, Harry, that Granit Xhaka is a good player. Having him in our team is not a bad thing. But we have him under contract or had him under contract until he was turning 31. Okay, now I'm going to speak about the age he will be right after his contract, right? Because he turns he turns 29 in September. So we'd have him under contract till he's basically 31. We could have kept him through that contract, had him till he's reaching that age where you say, all right, now at this point, guy's been here seven, eight years and he's, he's getting into his 30s. Let's move on from it. But instead, we've now opted to keep him till he's turning 33. And realistically, we should expect he's going to be here till that contract runs out. And we have seen, even just as recently as January, having to pay people to leave. Kolasinac ain't going anywhere. You know why? Because no one can take on that wage. And I see a lot of people saying, well, this protects his value. And I want to be clear. Sometimes you add years to protect value. But if you can't sell a 29-year-old Shaka on a 100000 a week wage for two more years, how are you going to sell a 30-year-old Shaka on more money for extra years. Well, you have to realize about the buying club. So Harry, let me give you an example just with you, right? Let's say I give you a contract and I say, I will pay you 10 million pounds for the next three years. I'd say, thank you very much. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be doing the YouTube shows anymore. We'd be, we'd be exactly. on the beach in Ibiza somewhere. But, but so I say, I'm going to give you 10 million for the next three years. And someone else says they want to hire you away and they'll give you 5 million for the next two years. Are you going to go? No. Because you, you'd be giving up 20 million pounds to make that move. In order to buy Shaka, you don't have to just give us, Arsenal, a good fee. You have to offer Shaka something better economically than we're giving him. So by extending him to 2024 on bigger wages, 
it's only harder for someone to come by him. They've got to offer him more of an economic benefit than we're giving him. So in this case, it doesn't protect his value because I don't know where that club's going to be unless it's a Premier League club. I guess I would just say we didn't have to do this. We could have kept Shaka. He's got two years left on his deal. If next summer we want to sell him, okay, maybe then we take the reduced fee, but we got an extra year of service from him, and now he's turning 30. Great. And the last point, Harry, and then I promise I'll shut up. If we wanted to do this, the window's all jammed up right now, right? There's no movement. There's no incomings and outgoings. Very slow. Wait. Wait three weeks. See if the window lubricates. See if suddenly there's a central midfielder whose price drops and we love him and Roma comes back to the table because they feel they need him and, and something moves. Or in September, if he's still here and you feel for some reason he has to have a longer, better deal, give it to him. I'd be against it, but do it then. But the need to do this now for a guy that we had under contract on reasonable wages for two more years, when you add it all up, it feels avoidable and unnecessary. And so I, I, I just, I struggle to see why we had to do it. See, I'm, I'm of the opposite view here, but I do. I do know that. <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do think that you make Hit me, a lot let me of, know. <laughs> no, no, I do think that you make a lot of really good points. And I do agree with the timing of it. I think that that is strange to me. I think if this happened in a month's time when the transfer window was shut, I think that I would understand it a little bit more. But I guess for me, and, and the way I look at it is this, I think looking at that Arsenal team, last season, I didn't think that Granit Xhaka was anywhere near being our biggest issue. I thought we had a number of issues within the squad. At times, Granit Xhaka made mistakes. Granit Xhaka has always made mistakes throughout his career, but as has everybody else, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang missed chances. Rob Holding made mistakes in defence. Bern Leno made defense, uh, goalkeeping errors. You're going to get that in football, right? And I think for us, what's happened is because he's not performed for many seasons prior to Mikel Arteta arriving, there is a preconception about Granite Xhaka that simply isn't fair anymore, in my view. You look at what he contributed last season, and I would make the case that he was Arsenal's best midfield player because of how often he was available, um, the things that he brought to the team, and probably more importantly than that, the way we looked when he wasn't in the team and the way we looked when he was stuck out at left-back to cover for Kieran Tierney. So for me, I guess the club have probably looked at this and gone, we've looked around the market. We've looked at what we're going to have to pay to bring in somebody else. And we're talking about 35 to 40 million pounds. Now, Ruben Neves is somebody that's been talked about a lot. And I talked about him a lot as being someone that I think actually probably fit the bill in terms of what Arteta demands from that position. But the issue for me is, and the issue I could never get away from was, He's probably a slight upgrade on Granite Xhaka, but is he worth three times the money that we were going to bring in for Granite Xhaka? And I just think what Arsenal have done here is they've gone, well, it's it's better value for us to sign up Granite Xhaka and spend that money in positions where we're in greater need. Now, I agree with you that the, the contract, it does seem a little bit long. It does seem a little bit excessive. But equally, you have to do something to persuade the player if you want to keep him. And Mikel Arteta clearly does. He's put a lot of faith in him, as of many managers in the past. But I think here, this is the first time that we're seeing Granit Xhaka perform to a decent level in an Arsenal shirt. And so if this was a year ago or 18 months ago, I'd be a lot more against it. But right now, I just think that he can do a job. And I think there are other areas that need addressing first. And that's kind of where I... 
kind of take it from. But so the the funny thing is, Harry, like I I can be reasonable, <laughs> all evidence to the contrary. Like I I do think that Granite Shack is a player that if you believe we are better with him in the team this season and we need him to be in the team this season, I'm not gonna shout at you that you're wrong. I was ready for a change, but I mean reasonable people reasonable people can disagree. I just say well, he's under contract for two years, so just keep him. Just keep them. And I think if we're going to set the precedent where we say to 29-year-old players, hey, we're just going to lengthen your contract and put you on better wages into your mid-30s, that has a knock-on effect, right? When you give Ozil 300000 when Oba's re- renewing his contract, you have to give him 300000 right? Uh, every and, and Arsene Wenger was big on this socialist wage structure idea, and I'm not saying that that was a success. But what I'm saying is there is a knock-on effect to every contract decision you make within your team because other players look at it, right? And so Thomas Party, who's going to be 29 next season, well, why won't he say, hey, I want the Shaka renewal? Add two more years. Give me 20000 more a week. It's my turn now, right? I think you have to look at how you set precedent. When Saka got his new contract, it set the bar for what ML Smith-Rowe, uh, Rose agent, went after. And so each of these moves creates a precedent for how you're going to manage your squad. So I think you also have to look and say, keeping Saka may not be the worst thing in the world, but does extending him create a problem for us that, that trickles down throughout the squad? I just, I, I think that, Going back to that point that you made about the the kind of structure that Wenger had in place and the structure that, you know, we've seen them them lot down the road. Tottenham have been quite sort of strict in terms of the structure they have in terms of wages and player salaries. And I think there comes a point where you kind of have to let that go a little bit because what happens is you end up in really, really difficult situations with players and you sometimes cut your nose off to spite your face. But coming back to Xhaka's kind of age and the profile and, and the area, the part of his career in which he's at at the moment, I would probably say that I don't really worry about Granite Xhaka moving into his 30s because for me, his game is not necessarily based on mobility, pace, speed. And so I don't think that Granite Xhaka drops off all that much. I'm not comparing him to Andrea Pirlo, not for a second. He was one of the greatest midfielders I've ever seen. But what I mean is he was a player who, with age, got a li- got better. Olivier Giroud is another prime example of a player whose game is not based on mobility, speed, pace, and I think has developed sort of in the latter stages of his career. And I do think that probably played a part in the decision. Yeah, I, I don't... I mean, I guess... Well, just one thing, first of all, because a lot of people say, look at the Euros he just had. This guy's fantastic. First of all, if you can't sell him off the back of that, that should help. That's kind of a worry. But I do think the problem with judging players, especially central midfielders off international competition, is that we know Granite Shaka with space and time is a killer. He's a killer. The biggest, I think, drawback with Shaka that people would point to who aren't huge fans is that when he doesn't have space and time, he becomes very limited and exposed, right? Um, he, he has the turning radius of a battleship. You know, he doesn't receive on the half turn particularly well. He has to get it onto a stronger foot to release it. He doesn't play a lot of central passes unless they're wide open. So looking at him in the Euros where he does have more space and time, where the game's a bit slower, the temperatures are higher, there's a little more space. I don't know if that's a good way of analyzing how he'll perform in the Premier League. But Harry, sometimes I think what I need to hear to understand why my argument might not be right is, so I, I hear what you're saying. Let me ask you this. What do you regard as the downside if we had just kept him on his existing deal? Because I guess what I'm saying is, I don't see the need to do this. No one's given me a really good argument for why we had to do this, especially now, wait till September. But like, 
what would your argument be for the downside of just letting him play on his on the deal he's he had? I think for me, if I'm looking at looking at it from the outside in, obviously, like we all are, I think that what Mikel Arteta has tr- probably tried to do and not really successfully is he's tried to establish leaders in the side. Now we know that Unai Emery tried this. Let's have a group of captains and all of that jazz. And, and, you know, we can probably agree. I think that the only reason David Luiz was still at the club last season was because of his leadership skills and because of that seniority that really is probably lacking in the group. I think that behind the scenes, Mikel Arteta has taken the decision that Granit Xhaka is one of those leaders. He is somebody that's very important to the side. And I think if you listen to any player or if you listen to sort of within the club or anyone who's been sort of around everybody, they'll all tell you that Granit Xhaka is the is one of the natural leaders in that side. I think for Mikel Arteta to get the buy-in of this project in terms of with regards to his players, getting them on board, I think there needs to be some sort of fixed fixtures. So there needs to be some players that are going to be part of the furniture moving forward. And I think he's looked at Xhaka and gone, well, I do see him as that leader. I do think he's important to me. Whether the fans agree with it or not, I do see him as a key part of this side. And what he wanted to avoid, and maybe what the club wanted to avoid, was going into the situation where he plays this season and then we're in that kind of limbo again. Just like we are with Alexander Lacazette, where every other conversation about him is, is it time to cash in on him? Is it time to not? And I think he's looking for stability. And he's not just a a stable figure in terms of, what he brings in the dressing room. He's a stable figure in the fact that he is available. I'll probably curse him now, touch wood, but he's available every single week. And I think he is somebody that Mikel Arteta values in that sense, probably more from a leadership point of view than anything else. I don't think he looks at him and goes, he's the best midfielder in the world. I just think he thinks he is someone who is very important and having looked at what it's going to cost to upgrade on him, because there's no point in spending 35, 40 million pounds, unless you're going to upgrade, he's taken the decision that for now, let's keep hold of him. Let's nail down the spine of our side and then we can build around it. That's that's kind of my take. Yeah, and again, there's some things in that analysis I absolutely think are spot on. There's some things that I'd maybe disagree with, but there's nothing in that analysis that for me changes my conclusion that you can get all of the things you just mentioned by keeping him on the two-year remaining deal he had that he can still be a leader that, I mean, two years is an eternity in football, especially when you're approaching your thirties. And we were theoretically willing to sell him if the right bid came in this. I mean, would you agree, Harry, that had we gotten the right bid, we would have sold him this summer? Yeah, I think we would have. I think we would have. So if we were prepared to sell him for the right bid this summer, that at least suggests that we were okay charting a path forward without him with someone new. So the idea that we went from that to now needing him to be here four more years when we didn't have to make that decision now, and here's the irony, right? Let's say we even waited till next summer and he had a great season again. And we say, you know what? This guy's aging fine. We actually really like him. We want to add years onto his deal. There aren't going to be a lot of people banging on his door when he's 30 next summer to give him a bigger deal if they weren't banging on his door at 29. So I think we, again, even if we had to do this, and I again, I don't think we did, we could have kicked the can down the road a bit and given ourselves more optionality. I think what this club is so bad at is optionality. We really tie ourselves to some decisions 
that hamstring us going forward when we don't have to make them, whether it's putting aging players on longer contracts or, you know, letting situations get out of our control. And, and so I, I don't know. I mean, too often this conversation breaks down to he's good and we should keep him or he's bad and we should get rid of him. When in fact, the real question is why did we have to extend him? And for me, and again, it's not a disrespect to the arguments you've made. I don't see a compelling need to have done this. And, and that for me, and again, what are we trying to do right now, Harry? Right, We're trying to evaluate Adu and Arteta's arsenal. We know how Raul's arsenal worked. Not so great. Ivan Gazidis, you know, we have our opinions about that. Arsene Wenger may have made some mistakes in his final few seasons. Now we're trying to see, will Adu and Arteta chart a different course to smarter decisions that lifts us out of where we are? And so, of course, we're going to scrutinize every decision really closely. We're searching for answers. And this is a decision to me that I just regard as feeling like the move of a, of an inexperienced group that could have certainly given themselves more time and sat on this a little longer. I just don't think they had to do it. Yeah. And, and look, I, I said it right at the top. I, I do agree that I probably think the timing is a little bit strange, but equally from the player's perspective, you want to, if you're going to commit your future to the club, if you're saying that you're not going to go and you want to stay, and I know people will say, but he's under contract at Arsenal. He, he can't go anywhere unless we want him to. But you want your players to be fully engaged in what it is that you're trying to do. And I think by giving him the extension and giving him the pay rise, I'm not even saying that he deserves the pay rise. But I think what you're doing is you are you are almost saying to him, I'm putting my trust in you. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel like part of the project. And actually, it's probably still a lot more cost effective than going and spending 35 to 40 million pounds on a player that you can't guarantee is going to bring you any more to the side than Granite Xhaka. Can and I ask I you guess, a question about that? Yeah. Just, just yeah, real quick, ahead. two things, because th- I, I find this fascinating. One is I sort of feel like there's a tension between saying he's this leader, he's this, he's this role model, and that's a big reason we're keeping him around. But if we don't pay him more, he won't want to play out the contract we've given him. Like, and I get those things are, are separate to some extent, but I feel like this whole idea of he's he's a good leader who we can trust and rely on, but if we don't give him more money, he won't play out his contract happily. Okay, but here's the other thing. I don't see Granite Shack as a guy who's going to be happy sitting on the bench 20, 30 games a season. Do you? Because no. where I start to worry is this leader, we've seen him have some tantrums before. He's an emotional guy. How will this leader react when he's 32 and has two years left on his deal? He's turning 32 and we've bought a guy to be the new number one. And in his 32 year old season, he's starting five games or his 33 year old season. When we still have him on 130, 140 grand a week, he's starting four or five games. I think this leadership thing can get sideways on you pretty quick. If he's, he's going to be an ever present this season that we know, but will he be next season? Will we go out and buy that central midfielder? Or will someone ascend like an Aziz or a Lakanga to take his place? And then what do you get from this leader, Harry, when he's 32 and he's really marginalized? Will he still be a leader? Or do you see a guy then whose emotional qualities and character may actually become a, a distraction? Possibly, but I don't I don't buy into this thing that Granite Xhaka's character is a problem. I really don't. And I know... No, I but he's probably, fiery, right? He's, he's a fiery yeah, guy. He is fiery. But I think as fans, we've got to be mature enough to understand that. And we've got to, you know, we've got to just get on with it. I think I think probably the last time you were on was after that incident, actually, um, against Crystal Palace, where he, he kind of lost his rag and stuff. <laughs> Going back to kind of the point about why we needed to give him more money. Well, I mean, 
if I were Granite Xhaka, I honestly would not want to play for this football club. I wouldn't because if I were Granite Xhaka, grew up in Switzerland, I've got no affiliation to Arsenal Football Club whatsoever. I've come to the club. Okay, I haven't always performed, but I think I still think the level of abuse that he receives is ridiculous. Can you imagine how how it must make you feel that even when you play well, there are people that still don't want to give you credit and are still sitting in the wings kind of waiting for you to slip up so that they can make their point again about you not being good enough. I think the fiery thing, I think, is a good thing. I think when footballers can channel that in the right way, it is a really useful thing. I, I think back to kind of like Wayne Rooney, who I really disliked, Manchester hmm. United player, but he was fiery and he used it in the right way. And then you compare that to someone like Matteo Genduzzi, who uses it in the wrong way, and then it becomes a bit of an issue. But to bounce back from what he bounced back from, still get his head down and actually perform better than he's ever performed before for me tells me that his character is right that his head is in the right place and that he is incredibly strong mentally to be able to block all that out and get on with it and I think we need to not get so bogged down in kind of reactions that happen during games or just after games I mean look at some of the fan channels the way those some of those people react after a game they don't react like that the next day it's the heat of the kind of moment. And when it's them, it's completely excused. And when it's a player who's actually lived and breathed it and been involved in it, we're very quick to say, well, you can't act like that. And and that's where I kind of struggle with that that side of things. I'm, I don't really have an issue with Granit Xhaka being fiery. And I don't think he would be a negative presence in the dressing room, even if he wasn't regularly in the side. And look, at that point, if he wants to go and someone comes in and says, here's five, six million pounds for him, and he wants to go. There's no reason why the club can't let that happen. So it's, I don't know. I don't think it's as, it ties us down as much as maybe we're worrying about. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm not saying he has bad character. I, I mean, I think we could have another good long debate about how players handle the criticism of the crowds and how players handle being booed and how players handle the real pressure, immense pressure that comes with performing in front of millions of people who are quick to to make judgments every seven days or in some cases every three or four days. I mean, they are given millions and millions and millions of pounds and, and they have the, the power of celebrity, but there is a toxic side to that. There's absolutely no question. Ask Bukayo Saka about that. I mean, you know, he's gone through more at 18 than I think Granite Shaka has had to in his life already. So yeah, I, I, I acknowledge that that's a challenge. I think you know, not a lot of players have reacted the way we've seen Granite Shacker react. That's another story. But it's not so much that I think he's a toxic character or would become toxic. I think I struggle to see a circumstance where having him at 31, 32, 33, where he's playing only marginally and soaking up a big wage is good for Arsenal. I think the only way this deal makes sense is if Granite Shaka stays absolutely elite, plays a lot all the way through his 33-year-old season until this contract expires. Outside of that, I think we're going to look back on it and say it was a mistake we didn't have to make. I think we've we've covered it. I mean, I, I, on Twitter, I rant because I, I like to vent. And I know that bothers some people like, oh, don't be so negative. Don't overreact. Like, what is Twitter if not a place to just throw your ideas out there, see how they get received, you know, vent a little bit. We all need a place like that. But I think in the cold light of day, this just feels like a deal we didn't have to do for a player who, if we want to keep him, we just could have kept him. But I, I've sort of said my piece. I'm not... I don't think Shaq is terrible. I think that angle has been overplayed. I also think just as a fan, 
I was ready to refresh. I was looking forward yeah. to something new this season. I think a lot of us are feeling a little run down by what Arsenal has been the last few seasons. So something a little fresh and new would have been fun for me. I'm, I, I was like that as well, in the sense of I'd kind of got it in my head that he was going and I'd started to look at other options and thought, yeah, you know, it, it yeah. maybe is a good thing. And I've said it before. I think you could have certainly said that his Arsenal career had come to its end and it was the right time to part ways because of all those things we've spoken about that have gone on in the past. So I do get that as well. I just one thing, final thing I kind of want to throw at you and see what your thought is on this is <clears throat> Mikel Arteta has obviously been key in this decision, right? He obviously likes the player, wants oh, to yeah. keep him, sees mm -hmm. him as part of the team moving forward. Why is it that when the club can take a bigger risk, i.e. giving him £50 million to go and spend on Ben White, is that not met with kind of, you know, a little bit of worry and concern? But <laughs> well, this is, you know... I mean, it is it is met that way, Dots, you know. It should yeah. be, it should yeah. be. But there's a lot of people that have kind of said, well, you know, Ben White is, is of a certain profile and I think he will take us forward. Now, we are buying in Ben White. We're buying potential. Because let's yep. be honest, right now, he's not an elite centre-half. He's not the best centre-half in England. He was not even in the England side. A lot of people have made a big thing about him going to the Euros. He was called up as an emergency replacement and didn't get on the pitch. So we're buying potential here. So there is a risk of that not working out as well. It's just for me. Well, wait, wait, Harry. When have we yeah. ever paid a lot for a centre-back with potential that didn't work out? I mean, like, oh, that's I right. Know. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just ironic, right? Like everybody's still getting over that. And here we are sort of doing that just in a different way. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. I just, I just find it strange how, you know, there are some decisions that you've either got to back the manager or not from the club's perspective, as fans, we are entitled to disagree with certain things that Mikel Arteta does. You can back him, but still disagree with individual decisions that he makes. But I think from the club's perspective, if, Mikel Arteta has gone and knocked on your door and said, I want Ben White, I need 50 million pounds to go get him. And you've backed him and done that. Then you equally, you can't say when he says, I want you to give Granite Xhaka a new deal and extend his stay. No, actually, we don't want to do that. Do, well, do you see what I mean? I sort of disagree only in this sense. And, and this is a big part of the analysis for me too. Let's set aside whether you love or hate Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta clearly knows football, knows how to coach football. Is he doing it at an elite level yet? That's a debate we can certainly have. We hired a first-time manager, a guy who had never been in charge of any club before ever, to be the head coach, the first team coach at a very big club. Say whatever you want about where we are right now. It's a very big club. What you'd ideally like in that situation is a strong, robust structure above him to create a supportive, mentoring environment so he can focus on coaching as he learns all the other complexities of being at a big club. The transfer market is a whole other animal. He got some experience coaching at City, but he did not get experience operating in the market, and especially at City, where mistakes don't hurt you, where you can freeze out Leroy Sané and it doesn't matter, right? Where you can buy a guy for $50 million one summer, and if he's no good by another for 60 million the next summer. So whatever he learned under Pep as a coach, he has no experience operating in the market. And what do we do? We give him half of a weird season with the COVID stoppage. We make him manager. We get rid of the experienced guy, Raul, who was a, a grifter. So I'm glad we did that. <laughs> we got a guy who's pretty similarly inexperienced in the European market in Adu, who seems almost figurehead-like. And then a guy above them in Vinay, who's an accountant, who's young, who's also similarly inexperienced. So we are saying, 
Let's trust Mikel Arteta. Well, it's a lot to trust Mikel Arteta just to be the coach. I'm open to that. But trusting Mikel Arteta to manage the entire rebuild of a giant club in distress with no experience whatsoever, I think it's unfair to Mikel. I, I really have sympathy for him because I think if he had been brought in to a really robust, strong director of football style structure that could mentor him, I, I think that'd be really interesting. You know, you look at Stuttgart where Sven Mislintat is the, the director of football sporting director and he's got a young coach, Pelle, Pellegrino, I think Pelle, Pellegrosso, who doesn't have a lot of coaching experience and he's mentoring him. There's a really clear hierarchy and structure there. We don't have that. And I think that's a big worry because even if Mikel is, is uniquely brilliant at this, he's going to make some big mistakes because it's a steep learning curve. Yeah. And when you're sitting eighth, it's not a lot of room for us to make those kind of big mistakes. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think, I guess the flip side to that is that we've seen environments before where coaches have gone in with an ideology and a, a kind of plan to move forward. And it's been blocked by somebody upstairs. And th I think there are positives and negatives to both sides, but That's fair. I, I think nowadays more so than ever, you do need that structure because, you know, the great Arsene Wenger, a man of, plenty of experience and he couldn't manage the whole football club at the end of it and you know if he can't do it then really what chance does Mikel have of, of not making mistakes it's it's going to happen of course well you know what's changing too Harry I mean look at the market now you have unprecedented access to video of kids playing in the Belgian third division you have guys with math PhDs running football transfers now, right? It is changing. Clubs are getting smarter. They're finding inefficiencies. They are adopting analytics in new ways. And the days of a football man, you know, sending his scout out to have lunch with a player and then shaking his hand and inviting him to the club and suddenly they go on to win titles together. It's not that that can't happen. It's just getting harder. So you need quants. You need math majors. You need video scouts. You need analytic conversant, analytics conversant people. You need a whole army of experts. And to be fair to Edu and Arteta, they got rid of some of the scouts. They're reshaping that department. They are trying to bring in, I think, some modern type ideas behind the scenes. And I think that's really encouraging. But the idea that any one man, let alone a man who is brand new at it, can thrive in this current market with the complexities of COVID and emerging analytics and the proliferation of video scouting remotely, like it's, it's a huge ask. And it's not about confidence or lack of confidence. It's about qualifications, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. Completely agree. Um, right. Let's just quickly remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, check them out. Uh, check out the Lumar 4.0. I'm sure Elliot will tell you uh, how brilliant it is. I've heard him it is waxing lyrical about it. Excellent, isn't it? The battery just lasts forever. Yeah, it what does. <laughs> I mean, you throw it in the shower and you just use it and it never runs out. The thing's crazy. I love it. I mean, I really do go. love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Not going to lie. Uh, that was a bit of a weird route for the conversation to go down. But anyway, <laughs> this show is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Enter our discount code on their website, which is 90min20, and you'll receive 20% off of your order as well as uh, free shipping. Get your questions in the live chat box. We're going to do around about 10 minutes of Q&A. So get them in. Put a little Q at the beginning. Makes it easier for me to pick them out amongst the chaos in the chat box. And I can see there are over 500 of you watching us right now live across the multiple platforms. So please do drop us a like. It really, really does help the YouTube channel. Subscribe if you're new. That helps as well. And if you fancy going one extra and becoming a member, you can do so by clicking the link in the description. Um, right, let's uh, let's pick one out here. Um, 
Elliot, Dipak is asking what you do as a day job. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. No, that's but... fine. Um, Go on, because well, I'm well, curious as well. Because you you seem to know everything about everything. So I'm curious to know what you do outside of talking Arsenal. I just read other people's stuff and then repeat it and hope it sounds good coming <laughs> out of my mouth. No, um, well, so I, I used to be an attorney. I gave that up a long time ago. And uh, basically, I tried to make it as a singer at one point. That didn't work out. Um, I hosted TV shows for a little bit. And if you want to look up uh, my Tosh.0 episode, you can see that. My voice was actually featured in the motion picture Up by Pixar uh, oh, because wow. of my screw up on live TV once. So it is immortalized there. Um, but actually, uh, I just I have a uh, basically a sales and marketing company that I, I started a long, long time ago. And it, it has to do with um, television shopping. If you probably know what QVC is in the yep, UK yep, yep. and we have that here. So I've been working with them for a long time, appeared on the air doing that. So if you can picture me sort of like holding up a product and pointing to it saying, order now, you can get it fun, five payments. You know, that, that's that's literally what I used to do. Uh, but thankfully now kind of moving on. And um, the one nice thing about working from home and having that flexibility is that it gives me a lot more time to devote to the podcast and and to studying up about Arsenal, sharpening up the opinions and ranting and raving on Twitter. And so I, I do feel very fortunate because uh, I have been able to to shift a lot of my my focus to that. And it's something that I love. And, you know, I, I do think, Harry, like it's funny, right? You hear so much about how social media is toxic and the comment section is toxic and people are terrible. And yet when I come on shows like yours, when we do our podcast or we, you know, create, you know, conversation, whether it's on Twitter or our Discord or or the comment section, when we do live streams. Overwhelmingly, it's really smart people with a lot of really positive, good things to add, even if they disagree. So I, I don't know what it is, but I feel really fortunate because I think, while there's always going to be some people who are toxic, by and large, I think the community of people that engage with us are are really special. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I'm I'm guilty of sometimes letting the toxic stuff take over and kind of overlooking all the good yeah. stuff, which shouldn't happen. Don't do uh, it. But no, you're an ex-attorney. No wonder I can't beat you in an argument. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, ex-attorney for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just going back to the Manscaped thing, uh, Steve Stone says, the battery lasts a long time for me as it has very little work to do. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, congratulations. <laughs> right, let's uh, let's take uh, a couple more questions. This one comes from Christian, who says, uh, "Don't you guys think Arsene Wenger could be that mentor at the club?" Now, me personally, I wouldn't be against the idea of Arsene coming back in some capacity, not as a manager, but as some kind of man upstairs who ha we know has the interests of the football team at the heart of everything he does. Now. A lot of people would disagree with that because some people would tell you that he's the reason why we are where we are now. But what's your take on this, Elliot? Because I'd be interested to know. So uh, my take is essentially my preference would actually be for a really strong, really experienced director of football to come in, right? Someone like what Dortmund have in Zork, someone like Amanchi, someone like that. And I don't know if those are the right names. I'm just giving you an example. The problem with Arsene Wenger is it's a question of whether he is prepared to operate in that kind of a role, right? I mean, it down to each person. And, you know, you look at Ferguson, Alex Ferguson being involved in United hasn't really particularly helped them much from what I can see. And I sometimes wonder that those legends can just cast a long shadow rather yeah. than being able to mentor. I mean, Mikel Arteta played for Arsene Wenger. I, I think that can be really tricky. The other question is, you know, Arsene Wenger was a manager in the era before this, before scouting changed and squad building changed and more of the money came in and the analytics came in. And so the question is, how how much has he kept up with that? I think Arsene Wenger is a brilliant football mind. He seems pretty happy doing the um, commentary thing. 
right? He seems pretty happy with his life right now. And I get the sense that unless he has a burning desire to be a director of football and prove himself at that role, we'd probably be better just getting someone for whom that is the goal, for whom yeah. that is what they want to do. Yeah, I think I agree with that overall. I, I, the nostalgic part of me would like to see him come in some capacity, course, but yeah. I think you make some really, really good points. And I actually, a little while ago, I bumped into Arsene Wenger um, in a in a local Boots, which is like a, a pharmacy kind of place mm -hmm. here in the UK. And uh, Arsene Wenger looked about 10 years younger than he did <laughs> no when kidding. he was in charge <laughs> of the club. Yeah. It was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. Uh, big hello to NASA who says, uh, I like this Elliot guy. There you Yay, go. Thanks, NASA. <laughs> Riddy says, Harry and Elliot, the best Arsenal podcast partnership. Hope you two create more content together. There we go. Delighted. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you we got to come play, on ours. Maybe we should play center midfield for Arsenal instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. No, no, definitely not. My ankles are almost as good as Thomas Party's right now. <laughs> <laughs> My knee is, uh, is about as good as, uh, yeah, no, it's not very Some, good. At someone all. with a bad knee. Yeah. Exactly. Who was, um, who was that guy for? Ledley King. Oh, Ledley King. Yeah, yeah. yeah the most yeah. overrated defender of all time. Mm -hmm. Oh, but if he played more, yeah, but he didn't. So he we didn't. don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's say a big hello to Walhad, who says, uh, if Arteta plays the young players like Aziz, I'll be patient. But keep playing players like Elneny, who won't improve, and that will be his downfall. Now, I was at the game on Sunday, Elliot, and there were a lot of people around me that were quite frustrated at some of the substitutions that Mikel Arteta made because he brought on say Kalasinac, he brought on Hector Bayer in um, at right back over Cedric, who people were talking about potentially starting against Brentford. And, you know, everybody was kind of upset and frustrated about the fact that some of these players, like the El Nenis of this world, with all due respect to him, and the fact that they keep getting opportunities and the young players aren't, would you find it easier to get behind Mikel Arteta if he did just say, fuck it, I'm going to play these kids? And... I'm going to let them develop instead of persisting with these so-called dead wood players. You know, it's hard, right? I have some sympathy for this. So if you follow American sports at all, there is something called tanking and tanking is where you intentionally get bad. So you can get rid of your expensive contracts, get a better draft pick because they literally draft players, get younger and then start getting good again. The problem is there's no benefit to tanking in premier league football. You just go lower down the table. You lose prestige, you lose money. You don't get anything for it. I do think that we need to reset ages. And if there's one thing that encourages me about this summer, look at what we've added. Tavares, Lakanga, Ben White. We're not adding any more Williams from what I could see. Now, we did just put Shaq on a longer contract, set that aside. It does seem like we kind of understand we need to get these pre-prime players. If you look at how Liverpool did it, and Leicester to some extent, players 23, 24, 25, all aging together into their primes to create something special. As far as just using the young players, I think there's got to be a balance. I think players who have never played any football other than reserve football, by and large, should not be expected to come in and be ready for the Premier League level. So I would loan out Balogun and Aziz because the risk you have with no European football is that Aziz gets 200 minutes this season. Balogun gets 300 minutes this season. And at their age, when they need to be playing, that is harmful to their development. Look what Smith Rowe was able to do at 19, going to Huddersfield, coming back, being ready to really play and dominate for Arsenal. I know we haven't had great track records with loans always, but that's because not all these players are going to make it. I, I, so I think, yes, you know where I'd like to see him use young players? Like a better example is, I think a big competency test for Arteta, a litmus test, Brentford, day one, party's out. Does he pick Shaq Elneny or does he have the courage to pick Shaka and Lakanga? Because Lakanga can take you somewhere. We don't know where, but he can take you somewhere. Elneny can't. It's not that I hate Elneny. He's the worst player ever. 
the Shaka Elneny midfield isn't taking us anywhere. But if Lakanga is good, if we do see a, a progression from him, that could take you somewhere in the absence of Thomas Party. So I, I, I think that in terms of using the young players, that's the kind of litmus test that'll be interesting. Another litmus test that'll be interesting for me, Harry, is Martinelli. He's got to get 1,500 minutes or more this season. He, he can't be marginalized. He is a player whose output and underlying metrics in limited time are outstanding. We don't have a true left winger, and it looks like we're running right back into a Lacazette central Oba left kind of situation again. When Martinelli is back, I think Arteta has to try to find ways to give him more time on the left, move Oba central, or if he has to start Lacazette, so be it. But those would be two really interesting positional battles I'll be looking at. Will he give Lukanga his chance over Nelneni, and will he give Martinelli his chance rather than playing Aubameyang on the left? Yeah, I agree. I agree, especially with the Martinelli point. I think Martinelli gave an interview to ESPN Brazil a few days ago, actually, as well, where he talked about the fact that the recovery and the kind of comeback from that injury was very cautious. And that was always the plan. So I think that kind of killed the whole Mikel Arteta doesn't like Gabriel Martinelli rumor that people had decided to create themselves. Uh, but right, guys, we're going to leave it there. Um, it's been brilliant. Elliot, thank you so much. But please tell everybody where they can find your podcast, how they can get in touch, how they can get involved, because it is, and I'm not just saying this because you're on here, it is my favorite, obviously, oh, outside of my own. Other <laughs> well, you're, yours is, my, is the best. It is my favorite Arsenal podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Forever in your shadow, Harry. Look, I, I would say this. Um, I, I, I thank anybody for listening to me. I am the worst part of our podcast. So if you like really good opinions, Clive, Tim, Paul, Scott, like it is a great crew. It is a great community. It's the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Uh, you can find it on Twitter at Arsenal V Podcast. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on Facebook. But most importantly, you can just find it on, on whatever podcast app you listen to. You can go to our website, check out more to learn more about it, arsenalvisionpodcast.com. Uh, we do live shows during the season, but we're not we're not big into the YouTube thing because we all have faces for radio, unlike you, you handsome bastard. So um, I, I, I do hope that you will check it out. And uh, and I just hope, Harry, that you'll come on because we, we should do more of this as a blast. Yeah, I'd love to. Anytime, you know, I'd... I'd love to do it just let me know yeah uh, for sure i'll be up for it uh right guys we are going to leave it there as i said don't forget to leave a like on your way out uh we are on how many likes have we got let's have a quick look we've got smash the button exactly smash the button we have a thing we say actually harry on our show when we do the live streams is I, I feel like this whole smash the button thing like the, these devices are not cheap so i think we need to re rebrand this to gently touch like they're very sensitive you don't have to like, smash it caress it just caress, caress it. the like button. exactly yeah, you don't have exactly to smash it at all. <laughs> Silly. exactly make sure you do hit the like button <laughs> softly of course yeah uh, because we are <laughs> we are only on 151 likes but there's over 450 of you odd on the multiple platforms watching now so awesome we sh there's no excuse not to get to 200 at least if you are listening via the audio please do leave us a review check out at Yankee Gunner on Twitter and get subscribed to the Arsenal Vision podcast, although I'm sure you already are. Uh, we'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Cheers. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening 